Hello, it's Caroline. I'm just here to tell you that this episode that you're about to listen to was recorded during a time when I still used Patreon. I do not use Patreon anymore, but you can find helpful resources by going to thefuckadiet.com slash more. You can also read the beginning of the Fuck a Diet book for free from my site. Lastly, this podcast is extremely messy. And it was actually intentionally messy and unstructured because that was the only way I could inspire myself to start and continue this podcast. I needed the lowest stakes possible. And though this podcast remains very low budget and has remained messy throughout the years until now, if you want slightly more structured and streamlined episodes, listen to the more recent episodes. All right, enjoy. Welcome to the Fuck a Diet Radio no shit that's not what it's called damn it it was that for so long all right well shit welcome to the fuck a diet podcast i am your disorganized host caroline duner who doesn't even know the name of my own podcast and that's just i'm setting the tone that's just how it is um today i am sharing my conversation that i had with maddie deacon who is the person behind the account Messy Health on Instagram. I love following her. And in our conversation, Maddie talks a lot about her experience recovering from disordered eating in a larger body and also her experience in nutrition school in a larger body and also her experience in nutrition school with disordered eating with the people around her who had disordered eating and with sort of the whole culture around that. So I'm really excited for you to hear the conversation. I'm going to share it in just a little bit. Before I do, I want to share with you a listener email. Now I've asked in the past couple episodes, I've asked people to send me their own experience on the fuck a diet, any sort of positive experience that they can share with people who are listening, who are just starting out, who are struggling, who are wondering whether it's actually going to be worth it or whether it's actually going to work. And I just really think that the more stories you can hear from real people who have gone through this, the better. So if you have a story you wanna share with me that you think would be helpful to people listening to the podcast, you can send it to caroline at carolineduner.com and put podcast in the somewhere in the subject so it goes into the right uh, inbox filter for me. All right, I'm going to share this. It's from Navreet, and she said, Hello, listening to your podcast and sending you this message. I had pre-ordered your book and I read it in two days when I got it. I was at the point where I needed to make peace with food in my 44th year of life on the planet. I can now honestly say I don't binge on food anymore. I never thought that was even possible. Yes, I eat cookies when I want or chips when I want them, but that urgency to eat everything in my path at 11 p.m. is just gone. I never thought that would be possible. I also now pass up foods I don't truly want in the moment. That never happened before either or even just stop eating a food because I'm just done. I'm now truly for the first time able to see food as neutral and start addressing some medical issues in a sane way. Thank you so much. Ah, I shared that one because it was like straight into the point. It's like five lines long, simple, basic. I also like ones if you want to send them about kind of 
Ah, oh my God, I'm sitting on something so hard. What is this? I was being stabbed in the butt. What is this? It's weird, sharp. It's probably like, what is it? It's weird. All right, sorry. Every day, every day something weird. I can try and try and try. What is this? All right, I'm just going to get back on track. I don't know what it was, but it doesn't really matter, does it? All that matters is that it's not stabbing me anymore. All right, I'm about to share my conversation with Maddie with you, but before I do that, I need to quickly talk about a new sponsor of the podcast. And I don't know if you've heard me talk about this before. I'm almost positive that I have, but I genuinely think that supplementing with vitamins can be a really great way to support your health in a food-neutral way and a weight-neutral way. And you know that in looking for sponsors for the podcast, I would require them to be food neutral and weight neutral. So I'm actually really excited to have found Care Of and to be partnering with Care Of. They're a company that helps you figure out what vitamins are supportive to you. And you go to their site and you take a quick five minute quiz that asks you questions about your current lifestyle including how you eat in order to figure out how to support you. Also, they ask you things that you feel like you need support with. Now, believe me, when I took the quiz, I was afraid that it would be diet culture or that it would talk about weight loss. And I scoured the quiz for questions about weight or weight loss and it didn't exist. So that actually was really exciting to me because it's very clear that the questions that they ask are solely for the purpose of figuring out maybe where you have holes in your diet that they want to help supplement. Um, Also things that you want support with. For instance, I wanted support with sleep and with stress, but they also have lots of other things that they ask you about. For instance, when they asked about how often I eat fish, I said I don't eat fish very often and boom, Fish oil was one of the things that they recommended at the end for me. So if you're interested in seeing what they recommend for you, honestly, it's pretty fun and it is amazingly diet culture free. You can get 50% off your first care of order. Go to takecareof.com as in take care of yourself. Take the quiz. Use the code TFID50 as in the fuck it diet 50. Again, 50% off your first care of order. Go to takecareof.com and use the code TFID50. All right, without further ado, here is my conversation with Maddie Deacon. Oh, Molly just yawned. Do you share your last name or do you just have a couple names? No, I share. Um, yeah, Maddie Deacon. Maddie Deacon. Because I think it was a different name when I was emailing you, right? Am I crazy? Uh, yeah, no. So, yeah, it's kind of like a long story. But my in high school, I took my mom's last name. Oh. Um, which was Deacon and now and when I got published for the first time that's kind of just what I was known as <laughs> so now I don't have a choice right. I just, people just know me as that but so I keep my I don't keep my other like my actual last name a secret it's more just like I guess um privacy I'm not sure no like, no I I totally get that I totally get that I actually when I started writing the fuck a diet a long time ago way before I ever thought that it would ever be a job I was literally just trying to process the mm-hmm. stuff that I was learning like for myself and I I didn't want anyone in my life or my family or my friends to even really necessarily know unless I wanted to share with them personally so I for a while I was just Caroline, like the site was called the fuck a diet and I was just Caroline and I didn't show my face. I just wrote about it. 
And then eventually when people wanted to talk to me on their podcast, I just, I chose the last name Hagen as in Hagen does. So <laughs> at this point, there are still people who like search and then they're like, wait, is your name Caroline Dooner or Caroline Hagen? And I'm like, oh, well, that was just, that was a phase. <laughs> it was a phase of anonymity. Not who I, so I am anymore. <laughs> I totally get it. Um, but just so all of you know where my head is right now and what we talked about before we started recording is that it, Maddie is in Australia. I am in Philadelphia. And so when we planned this time, we planned for the date of the 23rd. If I had thought a little bit harder about it, I would have realized that that meant that one of us was going to be on the 23rd and one of us was going to be on the 22nd, but I didn't think that hard. So I, when I put it in my calendar, I put it in on the 23rd. Yes, so did I. Yeah. I, in my mind, I thought there's some, there was something happening because you emailed me and you said, I'll see you Thursday. And I'm like, it's, that's not right. And I, but I thought maybe it was just a typo or something. And I didn't want to like think into it because I was already hyping myself up to wake up at like 6am. Oh, I'm so, so sorry. <laughs> and I was just like, you know, we're not going to ask questions. We're just going to do it. Wait, so and is it Thursday where you are right now? Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. But you knew that it was going to have to be Wednesday for me, basically. And I just didn't well, think hard enough. I like, didn't want to assume, but when I, I just like also like just know because I'm an Australian that I'm always in front. But <laughs> when you said see you Thursday, and I'm like, what Thursday do you mean? Because, do you mean my Thursday or do you mean your Thursday? Yeah, because yeah. your Thursday is definitely not my Thursday. And well, yeah. you know what? It was almost really bad. <laughs> Wait, so it's Tuesday there? No, it's Wednesday. Okay, right. All right, it's Wednesday. Right. So it's the twenty second here. So on my calendar, it's t- I have tomorrow at 3 right, p.m. Yeah. So I, I just thought, wasn't thinking. Yeah, I needed to like cuz when you uh, like book in and stuff like that Zoom for me like changes the Well, that's time. what I expected. Yeah, did you do that? I, <laughs> yeah, the time difference is pretty horrendous, but I it's just confusing. So no, I'm I totally I'm so understand. glad. I mean, I really all I had to do this afternoon was do errands that I'll I'll still do after this call is over. I'm so Mm -hmm. glad that I was able to do it because otherwise you would have had to have woken up for nothing. So I was in my head. I was just like trying not to be, because I'm like a child at the moment, like throwing a tent, like a, a, a temper tantrum. I'm like, I am not getting up again. And like, not even because of like, there's anything wrong with like getting up early. It's just because I'm a child and I don't like to wake up early. And like, I was just like in, our, in my head because I was panicking as well because I'm like, what if she asks me like super intellectual questions? Oh and my god, no, <laughs> no, I don't. I don't know how to something. ask intellectual questions. Okay, I understand. I, yeah. No, I get it. I actually believe it or not, I get I get panicked before all podcast interviews that I do, mm-hmm. and before all podcast interviews that I. That me too. I, I'm so terrified. Yeah. I mean, before the ones that where I'm interviewed and when I'm interviewing, because I'm like, oh no, what if they like, I, I get super imposter syndrome. I like, I'm like, they're so smart and I'm going to be revealed to be the idiot that I truly am. And- I feel exactly the same way. <laughs> I really do. It terrifies me. Well, all we need to do today 
is talk about your experience. It's like literally all we need to do. And if we want to go into anything more specific, or if we want to talk about any of the smart things that we happen to remember in the moment, great. <laughs> if not, I honestly think that people hearing other people's experiences with disordered eating, with wellness diet bullshit, and with trying to heal, I think that it's like, I think that's what people crave hearing really. Yeah. I found that too. Yeah. So, um, so if anybody does not follow Maddie at messy health, I will never forget when I saw one of your posts and I was like, Whoa, I, I love, I, I just loved everything you posted. And I, it, it feels actually like a similar energy to what I try to post. It's like as as basic and like I try to say it in the least words I possibly can yeah and I feel like you do that so well so I love following you and um everybody should go follow messy health but we'll I'll tell them to do that a million times again (laughs) um will you tell us a little bit about yourself and then how you came to do the work that you do maybe starting with your own eating stuff? Yeah. So my name is Maddie, obviously, and I am a registered nutritionist from Australia and I work in public health, but I basically at uni was surrounded by a bunch of people that we all had on some level disordered eating or an eating disorder. And we had situations where lecturers would tell us like, Uh, you're all going to have issues with food. And so you probably need to sort that out before you graduate and you go and talk to other people. And I was like, no, what are you talking about? I'm totally fine. But I was like a raw vegan at the time. So I definitely had a lot of like issues around food. I've done it. I've done it. I did it in college too. It was like really wild to think about now because back then I was just so deeply entrenched in diet culture and um, like me and my friends, we would skip breakfast, go to an 8am lecture or lab and then after the four hour or three hour lab, we would skip lunch and like a drink of coffee or something and then I wondered why I felt so shit all the time (laughs) and um, honestly, it took me, I think... Two, yeah, two, two and a half years into my three-year degree for me to realize this isn't normal. And we're not actually all trying to be healthy. We're all trying to be thin. And that doesn't mean the same thing because to me, like when I came home and I was with my family or with my friends, I would eat quote unquote normally. Like um, I would still have a lot of disordered behaviors, but it was more like I you know, people were paying attention. So I couldn't really get away with it, like away with a lot of it. Um, and I felt so much better when I ate three meals a day and I had snacks and stuff like that. And it just felt really wild. And I was like, this can't be what is wrong. Like, because everyone was telling me like, oh, you're supposed to fast. You're supposed to do this. You're not supposed to eat this. Right. And I'm like, why does it feel so good then? <laughs> so to I, eat. Um, yeah, to literally just <laughs> my basic human needs being met. It's wild. And um, yeah, so I went back to uni. I was still kind of looking into, I came across someone on Twitter who said eating a cookie is the same thing as eating an apple. And I'm like, who the fuck is this person? <laughs> and the orthorexia in me just like jumped out. Right. And 
yeah, nearly like went on a tirade. And I, yeah, I was vegan for like so long and I uh, was looking for any reason to cut anything out. And I was just so sensitive to people like possibly calling me out on that. So when that, I came across that, I looked into haze and I'm like, this is bullshit. This is ridiculous. How could anyone believe this? And that was just my eating disorder talking because about two weeks later, I read the book and I was like, oh, oh, <laughs> yeah, this makes sense. Yeah. And, um, yeah what did so, you feel? Like, was it, was it immediate after that or was it still, uh, like, did uh, it still take time to, like, sink in or for you to, like, accept it? It definitely, oh, part of me was just, it felt, part of me felt relief straight away. Mm-hmm. And another part of me, like my ego maybe or something, was just refused to be wrong because for like the longest time, I I guess like hold, held a lot of like my self-worth and my intelligence. So I would go do like a certain diet thinking this was going to do, this is going to cure everything. Mm-hmm. And I would be wrong. And then I would go vegan. And then I was reading Hayes and they were talking about how like being, like depending on the reasons why you go vegan, it can be quite problematic. And I was like, no, I went vegan for the animals and nothing else. And I was like, no, that doesn't make any sense because you don't eat and you're like terrified of um, fruit and all that kind of stuff. So really I go so far beyond. Yeah. It took a, it took a while for me to, to actually like really unpack a lot of the stuff that I was like the mentalities that I had had because they've been encouraged pretty much my whole life. Um, Cause I've always been someone that's been interested in health. So I, but I think deep down that was an anxiety thing mm-hmm. and I was just looking for a way to have some kind of control over my life. Cause when growing up, there was just no sense of security or safety. Yeah. So I just said like, if I just go raw, like I will never get sick. I will like be happy forever. And I just have to follow this really strict oh pattern God. and diet. I did the exact same thing. <laughs> I was like, it, it is the thing that I compare to a cult that like, it was the most cultish mm-hmm. sort of mentality that I've ever been in. Yeah. It's really wild. Cause at the time I was in a relationship and I was living with all these other vegans, which veganism can be fantastic. It's definitely not veganism. That was the problem. It was my disordered behavior and the one that I was conditioned to believe. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, when I told my partner at the time, I was like, I think I can't be vegan anymore because I need to take a step back. And I'm so terrified of non-vegan food and I'm so terrified of just all food in general. And I can't do this anymore because I, like I said before, was going vegan and doing all these crazy diets to try and prevent me from getting sick. But I went to the doctor because I kept on getting really, really dizzy all the time. Mm. And he said to me, you have many as disease, which is what my sister and my mum both have. And it's pretty like, it was mild. Like it's, I'm very, very lucky. It basically just like you get vertigo Mm -hmm. for me personally. And, but I thought I literally Googled how to cure it with a diet. And I came across the medical medium and celery juice. And I was like, you know what, this is it. And I tried celery juice and I'm like, this is fucking awful. I'm not doing this. Wait, (laughs) wait. Wait, let me understand. So were you already raw vegan and then you went to the doctor and then you tried the medical medium or is that how you got into raw veganism in the first place? Yeah. So I had dabbled back and forth in raw veganism, but I was mostly just, um, just a classic orthorexic vegan. Mm-hmm. I, like, not, I was still eating cooked food sometimes, but it was like very, um, not necessarily rare, but it was very 
particular circumstances and particular foods that I would allow. Because the enzymes, Maddie, the enzymes. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, oh, you know, there's like all denaturing of the proteins when you cook them. Like that's not even real science. And I was, I had a science degree at this point in food and I still was so warped. Like my mindset was still so messed up because like logic and science didn't even make sense to me at that point. It was just, yeah, it was so wild. But yeah, I basically all my fears came true and I was sick and dieting was making it a lot worse. I was having vertigo like two days of the week, which it was getting worse. And for anyone who hasn't had vertigo, if you can't, I couldn't move. Like I just can't do anything. Yeah. It was horrendous. And it was for like 24 hours of the day. It was really bad. And um, I said to my partner, like, I can't do this at the time. I just, uh, my ex-boyfriend, but I I said, I couldn't do this and I can't do it anymore. And I remember him saying to me, think of the animals. I'm like, what about my body? Like (laughs) I'm struggling. And I got the worst like criticism that I think that I've ever had from people that are meant to be really, really compassionate, but were just shitting all over the fact that my body wasn't coping mm-hmm. and that I couldn't do it. And they're like, you're a nutritionist. You're supposed to be a role model to like other vegans. And I'm like, I have like a really big problem with that when I'm so messed up and disordered, like I can't be anything positive to anyone. Right. And yeah. So for a while I, and I came across Hayes at the same time and I was reading it. Um, and it made a lot of sense to me, but I think mostly it was just like for myself, it wasn't even necessarily that I had to like give up dieting for my health. I just had to give it up for my like sanity Yeah, because there was just nothing left to give. Like I was still going to uni and getting weighed in like my classes and stuff like that. And it was traumatic because I was like the biggest person there. And so I was going back and forth between disordered behaviors, but Is I that think usual to, to be weighed in classes, nutrition classes. Um, I've spoken to a few other people. It's, we have a class in like anthropometrics. So, which is like, you know, measurements and skin folds and all this kind of stuff, which now that I'm like aware is the most bullshit, like mm. way of like um, diagnosing anything or like even, a, it's not even a good tool to have, but yeah, we, had a class where we had to strip down to our underwear and be weighed and have our skin folds done. And there was, it was wild because we had um, like five boys in the class, but they weren't allowed to be weighed. Why? Because it would throw off the results because if um, the women had to be um, weighed and did all these tests on and the boys had to do it on us. And I, (laughs) I said to my, my friends, like, I'm so thankful that I had two really good friends in the class. And I was like, I can't, you can't tell me what, how much I weigh. You can't, I like need you to be like a safety net for me right now. And they, I was really lucky, but my teacher walked around and just yelled at my weight and I was just mortified. And I didn't eat for two days after that because I was, they put up our BMI in like a, graph and me I was just the outlier and I, and like mm. my name was there and I was just like this is mortifying and that whole experience was so traumatic and I looking back was so anxious leading up to it and yeah I talked to other people who studied nutrition they're like yeah I nearly shit myself like the whole time it was terrifying and that like, is just- so that is the definition of traumatizing and it's mm-hmm. also super like dehumanizing and degrading just for anyone to like in a class to have to strip down to their underwear. And also the 
the gender dynamic there. Mm -hmm. So bizarre. I mean, I went to acting school and I never had to do anything like that. And you, and there's some pretty fucked up shit in acting school. You're totally judged on the way you look and you teachers do talk about it. You have to think about it. And how do you mark? And like, it's, it's fucked up in its own way, but like that takes the cake for me there. Yeah. And it's, it's really difficult because I, at this point had no idea. I'd never seen anyone that looked like me in my classes and I'm not even quote unquote like that big. Right. I am like on the smaller end of like the spectrum of like being in a larger body, I guess. So I, but I'd never seen anyone even close to my size. And mm. um, so when I had that situation and they like put my BMI there, it was just, and then we, we so tightly correlated like what we looked like with our ability to be a health professional. I was just, I actually dropped out for two years um, after my first year. Cause I thought I said to myself, I have two years to quote unquote fix myself mm. because no one's going to hire me. And um, if I'm like this and I was just so like ingrained in everything, it was horrible. And I was just against my body the whole time. And after my dad passed away, I was like, I can't let this stop me anymore. I just have to go back because I want to go back. And I did, but it was traumatic sitting in a lecture theater with like them talking about obesity and um, me being like, people would like turn around and look at me and I'm like, what the fuck are you looking at? Like, <laughs> I like had no fucking Like wanting to gauge like your reaction or like, yeah, yeah. It was just really wild. And I had a friend who was like in a smaller body who would bring like Maccas or McDonald's to the um, uni and people would just assume it was mine. And I, which is like, people can eat whatever the fuck they want, but it was just really strange how people assumed that there was my food. And And I was like, well, thanks. Yeah. Thank you. But because of all of you, I actually haven't eaten yet. So (laughs) right. (laughs) It's, it is the huge myth and misconception with body size, health, and habits. And for everyone listening who doesn't know what HAZE is, it's just the acronym for health mm-hmm. at every size. Um, it boggles my mind. It boggles my mind that it's that deep and it's that strong and pervasive that even people in larger bodies saying, actually, I've been dieting my whole life. Like, mm-hmm. it's as if that is just must be a lie. Yeah, it's really wild, especially because from a scientific perspective, when I read Haze, it made so much sense to me mm-hmm. because like logically, I'm not even sure how to frame this, but logically speaking, it wouldn't make any sense biologically for our bodies to be so easily manipulated. Yes, yes. Like when people are like uh, trying to like lose weight and stuff like that, it doesn't make any like survival wise, but it doesn't make any sense for us to be able to do that and for us to keep it off. Like our body, it's just the same way, like that it'll adjust, our body will adjust body temperature and adjust all these other things. But because we, our body um, does actually adjust our weight. And I mean, like it'll stay within a set range. Mm-hmm. People are like, no, like, but it's, it's not even, that's when people, it's not even about science anymore. It's literally just fat phobia. Like it's yeah. not, Anyway, like scientifically, it does not make sense for us to not have a regulatory system of our weight. I think I, Maddie, I think about this all of the time. And this is like the basis of actually how I try to explain it to people. And 
how I like started my book off in a way is like, I just need, I just need you reader or listener to imagine that you are in a famine. What would Mm. your body do? Just like, imagine it like logically, Mm -hmm. what would you do? You would become obsessed with food and you would Mm -hmm. hold on to weight and it would be a good thing. Like, just like get to that basic place of looking at what makes sense from a biological standpoint. And then also the idea that the idea that our, so many of our bodies are so broken that it's Mm. like all a bad thing that people gain weight or that people are fat or in larger bodies. Like that also doesn't make sense. Yeah. I, looking back, I understand, I understand why people are like where it's ingrained in us, right? Like I don't blame people for feeling this way, but if being fat was my only problem in my life, I'd be a very fucking lucky person because I just looking back, if I, I've had people ask me if you could um, trade, like, would you rather be in a smaller body or would you rather not have many and like vertigo and like chronic vertigo? And I was like, I would so much rather just be like who I, like I would just, it would make so much more sense to me if I could just like click my fingers and manipulate my, my diet in some kind of way and just solve all my problems. That would be amazing. But the body does not work like that. Like it just doesn't. And like the only time really that like cutting out something out of your diet is helpful is if you haven't, like you're allergic to something right. because it just doesn't make much sense. And like, for me, I literally like there's nothing in my diet that will oh there's a few things like I can have to watch my salt intake and stuff but there's really nothing diet wise that will actually heal me and so having to accept that I am chronically ill like it um and even then like I guess like compared to most people like I'm again very 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 lucky and I have access to a lot of like healthcare and stuff so um I'm totally fine but I just, the concept that like we can manipulate our body and it's just such an easy thing to do. It's such a privileged, I think, like thing to think about because like I read yesterday, someone's, I posted that like someone said to me that you're each bite that you take of food, you're getting sicker, you're getting healthier. And I'm like, that's such bullshit. Like it is. If there's no way that that's true, because, and also not everyone has access to, um, the foods that like would like promote health, like quote unquote promote health, like fruits and veg all the time. It's just not always accessible, but we're not talking about that because that'd be a much fucking harder thing to fix. And people don't, I I guess people just don't want to address that. It is a privileged thing and it is outside of our control because then we'd have to like loosen the reins of fat phobia. And I don't think people want to do that. I know people just, and people can't, people don't even want to begin to consider that that's a huge piece Mm. of the puzzle. Yeah. Yeah. But the, and the idea, I mean, my God, talk about crazy making, like the idea that, that every single bite of food you take is controlling your health. That's just, the body is so much more complicated than that. Health is so much more nuanced than that. And that can only make people lose their mind. I mean, there's, what are you supposed to do with that belief? Like, Mm -hmm. It, it like feeds control issues, you know, which so many of us have. So yeah, yeah I saw that post of yours. That was a it's, good one. Like all, like all the others. <laughs> thank you. Um, it's wild to me. Cause like I, cause I, again, I get the anxiety and the controlling thing. I 
grew up in a very like abusive childhood. And so when I could get quote unquote control of something, I took it because it just all control had been taken from me. So, and like autonomy, like I just didn't have any kind of like, I couldn't fix anything that I needed to fix to like, to, to like sort that out. I, I was a child. So like when food came along and it was comforting, I was like this, thank God, like I have something, but then it turned really quickly into something that I, I also felt, I felt so much comfort, which is innate to us, right? Like we're born, like where it wouldn't make any sense again, biologically for us to not feel comfort when we eat food. Right. Um, because it's literally like comforting your body, literally. <laughs> but um, I also really quickly, whether it was like diet culture, just ingrained in me as a child, but really quickly realized that, that was wrong. And, or, um, and I was like, had to be at war with my body and what felt right. And I had to control myself. And when was that? that was so young. Like I remember being in like grade three, which is what, like seven or eight and um, being like uh, hearing things. Like I had to, one time I told my mom, I've told this story a few times, but I ran to my mom's room and I had like a thing of bananas, like holding them. And I said to my mom, like, you have to hide these from me. And she was like looking at me like concerned. (laughs) And I was like, I can't, I'm out of control. I just, all I want to eat is fruit, but I can't have more than one piece of fruit a day because it has too much sugar in it. And she was like, um, okay. And I literally, um, broke down, quote unquote, broke down and binged on fruit and I hated myself for it. And I'm like, looking back, it was fruit. Like it was fruit, but I was so terrified. And that was so young. I think that was like 14, 15, and um, that happened to me a few times. I would h- tell my mom to hide food from me because I didn't trust that my body knew what it was doing. I just felt like I was out of control my whole life. And but like fruit is, it's fair enough that I would crave fruit if that's the only thing that I'm, I'm not letting myself eat it. Like you're right. going to binge on it. <laughs> right. No, I, I, uh, I, I resonate with that in so many ways. First of all, our bodies and our brains are linked, so they're not Mm. separate. (laughs) And it doesn't take much for your body and your brain to feel and believe that there is a food shortage. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because again, it makes sense when you think about it that the body, there's parts of the body that are like on high alert to be, they want to be aware as soon as possible if there's something that needs to like take place. Like, do they need to, like, is there going to be a food shortage? Do I need to take precaution for this? Like there is parts of your body that are constantly on the lookout and that's like a survival mechanism and people just like, I guess, don't believe that. And, but that like their body does, like you can see it in people. It's like the last supper mentality where I tell people all the time, like if I said to you right now that you could never eat pizza again, what would you be eating tonight and how much? Mm-hmm. And people are like, oh, a lot of pizza. I'm like, yeah, exactly. Like it's dieting no different. Yeah. And you will, and even if like that physically, like pizza is like never in your life, but even if it's just perceived that you're never going to have it again, your body is still going to be like, I need it right now because like it's the last supper. Like it's the last time you're going to have it. So you're going to binge on it. Mm-hmm. And if people like, cause bin, like restriction doesn't work, it's inevitable that binging will happen again. And that constant cycle of it. And people think they're so out of control. And I, 
want to just like hug people and tell them like, you are okay. Like there is nothing wrong with you. And that when it comes to like food addiction or these like ridiculous concepts, I have a theory that we can't really be addicted to something that we need to survive. Yeah. Like it'd be like being addicted to water. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense. And the science simply just doesn't support it. What it does support is that the, you will become like increasingly like food will taste better when you've restricted. So if you've gone like the whole day without eating and you eat something and you're like, oh my God, this tastes so good. Of course it does. Cause your body's trying to manipulate right. you into eating again. <laughs> it feels a lot like an addiction, but it's because your body is purposely trying to fixate you. Yeah. It has eating. your back. It wants you to survive. Exactly. And people really don't want to, uh, they don't want to see that. They don't want to see that their body is not the problem because their body is something that they can, or they think that they have control over. Because when we admit that it's not necessarily our bodies that are the problem, it's society and like a, um, the diet culture type of thing. Like people, that's much harder to stay away from. It's much harder to manipulate and fix because it actually is like a massive, massive like societal issue. And it was the same thing with me. I, it took me a long time to kind of surrender to the idea that I was not in complete control. Right. And my, I have a lot of privilege and thankfully, like I have faced food insecurity as a child, but right now I, I don't. So I, it took a lot to, for me to realize it, even though I have all this privilege, even then, like I'm, I can still, I could eat the quote unquote cleanest foods ever. And I still will be chronically ill. Like that's not going to go anywhere. And that is really difficult to get your head around. So, and it's the same thing with like being in a larger body. I had to really get to a point where to surrender to the idea that this is my body and it's not my body's problem, but chances are it's not going to shrink the, the amount that I want it to. And um, that's a really hard, no one wants to accept that. And I get that because, you know, the society that we live in, fat bodies just simply aren't accepted. And we innately, like we want to be accepted. We want to belong. So I totally get that. But the, I think the biggest thing that diet culture takes from us is like, oh, one, it creates this massive disconnect and like from our body and we we blame our body for like all these binges and stuff like that and for being so fixated on food I'm like your body is not the problem like it is and I one of like my favorite parts of my job is helping people like realize that it's not they were never the fucking problem right and diet culture has always been the problem especially if someone's in a larger body like people are just I restricted my whole life I went like Christmases without eating I did all I had done all the diets I've like exercised obsessively my body did not change so like for long term it didn't change and also I couldn't sustain it it just wasn't possible so trying to accepting that is really fucking hard and it's still something that I have to work on like most days because it'd be much easier just to assume that I could just manipulate my body and it'll do whatever I want but biologically that makes no fucking sense at all right so I want to hear, and you talked about this just now a little bit, um, like the layers and levels of surrender that that need to happen in order to begin recovery and then to continue recovery. Um, yeah. What was recovery like and what is recovery like? Because I know that you've said that you definitely feel like you're 
in it, which I think a lot of people mm-hmm. will relate to because it is a process. Absolutely. I'd say that um, in terms of recovery, I'm probably, I, I am the most recovered I've ever been. I think it'd be pretty hard to shake it at this point, but um, I still, I guess I, I don't know what the term like recovered mean. I guess it's kind of different for everyone. But for me, like I kind of recently got to a point where I just didn't give a fuck about food anymore, if I'm honest. Like I just, it was almost a chore for me. Yes. um, And I had to like actually be the parent and be like, eat food, like eat your breakfast and all that kind of stuff. So it's nice. And I've gotten to the point now as well, like the pendulum has swung from being super restrictive to complete, like I don't care at all. And now Uh it's kind of coming back into the middle. Yes. And I'm actually like coming back to that part of me that loves to cook and I love to cook for other people and try different foods. And it's really fucking incredible. So I, I do want to tell people like it is so possible to recover because um, a lot of people say like you can't fully recover. It's just like a lifelong thing. But I do believe that it gets so much fucking easier and there's a lot of joy at the end of it um, and throughout it as well. But I spend my time pretty much completely eating to sort of free now. And, but it recovery took a long time. And I, again, I'm someone who's very like, um, I don't want to surrender. I want to be right all the time. I don't (laughs) want to like, I never want like my intellect to be threatened. I never want, um, I guess like just the things that I want to be taken. And for the longest time I wanted a small body and I had an idea of what that looked like. I also wanted to fit in, in my job. Like I wanted to be of course, yes. um, a health professional that looked like everyone else. I wanted to be taken as seriously. Cause the thing is I'm not like, right. I'm in a lot of like areas, especially like, I don't want to work in those fucking areas. First of all, like the ones that are so disgusting, but I've been like, people have literally seeked me out and they're like, we want you for this job. And I was like, sweet. Like there's like, there's no one more qualified. There's, we love like your stance and everything and they see me in real life and they change their mind. Oh. And it's the most fucked up thing. It actually like was the last time that I triggered, like it was a massive trigger for me. Yeah. Um, my intellect being threatened and like my, my ability to do what I love was being threatened and it was really, really difficult. So recovery has been, I guess it looks different. It's going to look different for everyone. But for me, a massive hit was that, I'm probably never going to be accepted by something that is one thing like it's set upon like something that I want to destroy, which is diet culture. Right. <laughs> so, it doesn't make any sense to me to seek out acceptance from someone that I'm like, or this community that I'm probably trying to tear apart. Yeah. So um, I had to kind of just accept that if I'm going to do this, that's work, kind of empower. I mean, like in, in a world where you're constantly being cut down, essentially that, that is at least an empowering like yeah. thought and perspective, right? It's pretty fantastic. I've but I've had like friends recently, all that I thought were friends, like that I went to uni with, um, uh, look at messy health and like literally create a page where they just rebut, like do rebuttals the whole time about like this is not what we learnt and um, you're just being sensitive and all this kind of what? stuff. Like, yeah, it's wild. And I've spoken to her about it. And I'm like, why are you doing this? Like. And she's like, this is nothing. Like we were taught none of this. I'm like, exactly. We weren't taught this. And like, also it's not my experience in a larger body counts. And I'm not like oh my God. Um, negating that just to fit in because like the thing is I will never fit in there. And I've also never fit in because I have a loud mouth 
And I just like, I say what I want to say and that pisses people off. So um, when I like, even when I was like super fat phobic and even being fat, it was wild. But um, as a health professional, I never thought that it was logical to starve someone. It just, it's not like, it doesn't make any sense to me. So I was never, I've never really fit in too much as a health professional. And also I grew up with a lot of food insecurity and a lot of trauma. So I wasn't like people that I went to school with had like CEO for, CEOs for dads. And I was like, Oh wow. Right. And I couldn't afford like healthy food in uni. I just couldn't afford it. So, um, and like a yoga membership, it just wasn't possible. So, um, yeah, surrendering to the fact that I'm probably never going to be diet culture's version of a nutritionist was difficult. But at the end of the day, it was very empowering. And I tell people all the time, and I have to tell myself this all the time, you don't want to be that person, I promise you. Like it, I think I part of me um, thought that it was a sense of safety to be as close to something that like was never going to accept me. And it would like, if I could finally be that, I'd be safe. My job would be safe and all that kind of stuff. Mm. But that's perceived safety. No one is really safe when you get to that point when the world is fat phobic and racist and um so problematic in those ways like no one is safe even if you get close to the thing that is being oppressive like being oppressive so um surrendering to that surrendering to the fact that I my body is not against it's not working against me it's actually on my side it wants the best for me um and actually really helped me befriend like my body and see it as something that always has my back and when I whenever I go through shitty situations like um being triggered because of someone being fat phobic or just issues with anything I'm my this part of me like kicks in and it's like this recovered wholesome part of me that like um because when I'm triggered I will be like I don't want to eat I don't want to do this I don't want to like put sunscreen on and I don't want to look after myself and all this kind of stuff and my, right. this recovered part of me kicks in and it's like, just eat a little bit, just do this just a little bit. And like, oh. it's like, there is like a real sense of like, I've got my own back and it's fucking, it's the best feeling in the whole world. And it's so great. Yeah. So that's surrender. It's really, really difficult. It's probably the hardest thing that I've ever done, but it has bring, brought me the most joy and the most actual control over my life that I've ever right. had. The, uh, yeah. Right. Cause we're not just like in constant, like reaction to trauma mode which of course like you know it lingers and we have to come up against it but like when also when I think back on my like I hated myself so much and Mm. I I just was like constantly experiencing terror Mm. and therefore I was never truly taking care of myself I was like just trying to survive yeah, like how can we take care of something that we one hate and two that we never feel we don't accept that it is the way that it is? Like you can't like I have this thing that I do and I'm not sure whether it's like a childhood like safety thing, but like when I move into houses, I don't really unpack mm-hmm. and I like always kind of have like one foot out ready to go just in case. Right. And so in this house and I'm in now, I fully set up everything like I and it was almost like symbolic to like yes me accepting my body for the way that it is and it's setting up home here like this is my home and so like accepting that it was fucking difficult and it is like an uphill battle for sure but 
when you get to the point where you're like, this is my home, I'm going to do everything that I can to, you can actually take care of it then. Like you can't, the dieting and like this orthorexic tendencies and like clean eating and stuff, it's not looking after your body. Like it's not, it's coming from a place of fear. And so like when I look after my body now, it's because one, I know that it's in my best interest and two, because I give a fuck about myself. I really do. Right. And it almost like makes me cry thinking about that. But back when I was in my eating disorder, everyone would see me like having like smoothie bowls and stuff. They're like, oh, you must like love yourself. I'm like, no, I fucking hate myself actually. But people only saw like what they wanted to see. And so now it's from like an abundant mindset. Like I'm looking after myself because I want to. And back then it was because I feel like I had to, I was so fearful of everything. And on like walking on eggshells around myself, it was just so horrible. And people live their whole life like that. And I just, they don't even know what it's like to be outside of that. So it's hard to pull people out. But um, when they actually, I've had people tell me like, like my friends send me messages. They're like, I actually ate a salad tonight because I wanted to, not because I had to. And it was so incredible. And like telling me that they're crying over like their food because they never thought there was another way. Right. And I just thought like that, it just, it's like so powerful to actually finally accept yourself. But um, yeah, that takes time there's a lot of surrender and recovery yeah and I don't it just it goes against because most people with eating disorders as well will have some level of perfectionism and so to surrender to the like the concept that you're not perfect you can't or like what even is perfect like you can't you'll never be able to be perfect because that's not how an eating disorder works you're not actually working towards a safe place it never ends it literally never ends so like um actually people tell like people have said to me like oh you've just given up on yourself and I'm like no like this is the most in control this is the most happiness happiest I've ever been because like I actually do what's right for me and it's actually coming from a place of actually caring (laughs) rather than being fearful and yeah so like that to me is health and I so like my definition of health is always like really different to a lot of people's because mine's like literally just happiness. And obviously that's not always possible. And I, again, surrendering to the fact that like my life's not always going to be happy. That was hard too. But you like, it can be a lot better if you're dieting and you're like restricting and you hate yourself, it can be a lot better than what it is right now. And I hope that people um, and I hope the work that I do like helps people towards that just a little bit because it is, it's honestly the best feeling in the world. This has been amazing. Thank you so much for sharing this. I want to just ask a couple more questions before we wrap up. Mm-hmm. And the first one is you've already given, like, honestly, it, just even the surrender piece alone, I know that's a, a lot easier said than done, but it is like imperative advice because sometimes mm-hmm. we need to hear it a million times before we finally are able to do it. Is there Mm -hmm. anything else that you would want to tell people who are just about to start or have just started their recovery? Is there anything else that you would want them to know? Um, I think there's a few things. Firstly, again, like the surrender is a big thing, but two, this is kind of what Messy Health was built on. It's literally in its name that recovery is fucking messy. It's not linear nothing about healing is linear and there's been times where like I've slipped and I've fallen into old habits and I thought that I was back at square one or something like that but that's it that never that isn't the case because that all the knowledge that you learn like in recovery about 
self-acceptance and food freedom and things like that doesn't go anywhere. And at, at some point it will become a reflex, but it just takes, it's like a muscle. You have to work it. And I tell people all the time that it's like a tug of war. And if your eating disorder has been winning the whole time, because it has all these like, like functions and mechanisms and like um, self, like critical thoughts of you pulling to one side constantly, it's going to take time to add um, tools to the other side to pull it back. It's going to take time. And it may like, even when you think you're super strong, it may go back the other way. But um, eventually, like I tell people, and that's like where the eating disorder is, is like that fully on that one side and you're just, you can't see a way out. Mm -hmm. But eventually, like the more tools that you add, you might not feel like they're even helping. But things like um, therapy really helped me. Um, Being like meditating, uh, working on like my fear around food and reading about things and actually like being around other um, like fat positive people and body positive people. It's the more the tools you add to the other side, the stronger it will get. And like, eventually you'll probably spend the majority of your time completely on the other way where you are just very, you feel safe and you feel um, like, okay. In your body, like you feel solid in your body and like grounded because that is something that I felt like was never going to be mine. I just assumed that I was just not capable of that. But, um, yeah, recovery is messy. The whole, like, life is just messy. Surrender to that a little bit because um, recover. like, no one, fuck it. We live in a world where, like, everything to do with recovery is so countercultural. <laughs> like, yes. Um, so, like, when you tell people, like, oh, I love myself, they're like, why? Like, that's, like, not what we're taught. <laughs> so give yourself a little bit of compassion. Like, practice a lot of self-compassion. There's a reason why your eating disorder manifested in the first place. Yeah. And to me it was part of my body trying to help me it was trying to make me feel accepted um and that won't disappear overnight and it's you're not a bad person because you still think that way um because it takes time and that inner critic has been there your whole fucking life so like just give yourself a bit of compassion when you have those thoughts instead of saying fuck i thought i was better than that and um I, why am I so like, why can't I just like think quote unquote normally like a normal person or whatever, like offer yourself a bit of compassion because this work is not easy. Um, and there's going to be like the whole of society is just like, it will keep on trying to pull people back into that's what wellness culture is. And like the wellness diet, it will keep on trying to push, pull you back in. So like, um, well, at, to be honest, right now, I don't think there's much that could, and there's nothing that could really pull me back in. So you will get to the point where nothing can really shake. I feel, that, I feel that way too. Yeah. Like, like with, not, on a food, on a food level, like yeah. I, there's nothing that makes me think like, oh man, I better go on a really strict diet, you know? Yeah, exactly. And even like as someone I'm like in a larger body, it, it can kind of feel like your whole life will be a constant battle of trying to quote unquote, fix that. But I promise it really can get to a point where you, like I was talking to Ashley Bennett um, about this, the body image therapist. Mm -hmm. Um, We like went to a cafe and we were just talking about all the fucking amazing things that being a larger body gives us. Mm. And it became, it doesn't, I don't necessarily think that um, body positivity has to be something that we like ground ourselves in because it's not something that is sustainable all the time. Um, but accept like body acceptance is, yeah. and it can be a really fucking solid foundation. 
Yeah, asking like, for po positivity all the time is asking for too much. And for, it's toxic, like, right? Like there's sometimes yeah. where people have said to me, like, I remember when my dad passed away, someone said, like, what are the lessons? I'm like, can I just fucking be sad? Let me like, grieve. Let, yeah, let me be fucking miserable. Let me miss him. Like, and people were just like, oh, but he like all this, like these positives about things. I'm like, yeah, but it's not bringing him back. And I'm, it's just not helping. It doesn't help people to try and constantly be positive. Um, being accepting of where meeting people where they're fucking at meeting yourself where you're at mm -hmm. is what as a health professional I try to do and as, as a human being like if my friends want to wallow in self-pity I will be there right there with you for a second but I'll also pull you the fuck out of it as well yeah. so like there I guess there just it comes a time where you do have to pull yourself out but um yeah like you you can do it like you can recovery is really fucking hard <laughs> but it is really possible. And the other side of it, I'm sure that you can agree, like you agree with this. It's so fucking blissful. Like not having to like care about shit like that. It doesn't make any fucking sense anyway, but like <laughs> eating food because you enjoy it and feeling unapologetic about that is probably the best feeling that I've ever felt. <laughs> it really, it really, really is. Guys, join us, join us. It's hard, but it's worth it. it. It's so worth it. Like I, when I was in Melbourne a few, I was like months ago, actually, I was with Liza, my friend Liza, who is a fat positive dietitian. She works in the intuitive um, eating clinic in London now, but we literally went to like a dumpling house and just ate like so much dumplings. And we've like, we've drank wine. And like on my birthday, we went to this like pasta place and we drank wine and like hit on the waiter. And it was like <laughs> all this kind of stuff. And it was just so much fun. And I remember thinking like, if we were a few years ago, what would we react in this situation? We'd be fucking terrified to eat pasta. Yeah. We'd be terrified to eat cheese and to drink wine. But now it's like, it just brings us nothing but happiness. And that's like, it can be like that. You can just be happy. And <sighs> I be, love it. It's so fucking incredible. Food freedom and just like whatever that looks like for someone is just the best feeling in the world. It really is. And it's such a basic need, guys. It, let's do it. Let's do it. Tell us where we can find you so we can follow along. So you can find me on Instagram, which is at Messy Health with an underscore at the end. Um, we have a podcast, the Messy Health podcast, which I hope you'll be a guest soon. Oh, I'd love to. Um, and we're coming out with an online school soon. So if you follow Messy Health on Instagram, that'll come out um, probably in the next month or two. So I will have it all linked there. Yay. Thank you, Thank you so, so much, much for having me. All right. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Maddie. You can find the links to go follow her in the show notes of this episode. Please subscribe to this podcast if you want to be updated when I post new episodes. My new schedule is every other week. So that's the current plan. It's possible that I'll eventually go to every week, but right now it's every other week. I will be posting a new episode. Um, please subscribe. Please rate and review five stars if you like it. If you don't really like it, please just like unfollow and unsubscribe and, and, and don't leave me a bad review. Just, just go away and, and then I'll go away too. It'll be great. We, we don't need to fight. We can just, just amicably stop being friends. It's like, it doesn't have to be. 
I mean, I love drama, but it this doesn't have to be dramatic. All right, I'm going to share one last thing. It is a story about my dog, Molly. I shared this on Instagram. Uh, it doesn't matter. It's not going to change your life. But it's a story about how my dog has been in a secret war with Jeff Goldblum for a year. This is the story. If I ever let her upstairs into my bedroom at night, she is always trying to look out this tiny little window in my tiny little twisted stairwell. And it's a window that overlooks like these little city, you know, backyard lots that nobody is ever in. Very, very rarely people are actually spending time out there, especially not now because it's the winter. And she growls and she gets really upset and she usually starts barking really loud and I yell at her and I make her go downstairs. And it happens without fail. She will begin, if she like notices the window, she'll like, you know, try to really look out this tiny little window and she'll start going ballistic. I thought she was stupid basically because she is afraid of like, things that don't make any sense. She is petrified of cardboard boxes. She's petrified of anything that looks like a box or anything that is like a shape that she has decided that she doesn't trust. Um, Like petrified. Um, Paper bags are extremely scary to her. She'll start barking at them and she'll, if you like move it a little bit, she'll run. So I was like, she's just an idiot. Like she's just stupid. Like some, honestly, sometimes she will walk into the you know our little family room where she sleeps every single night and the pillow that she sleeps on every single night might be like in a slightly different position and she will get spooked and she'll start barking at it as if it's some alien object and I'm like what what is wrong with your brain this is the pillow that you sleep on every night anyway so I was like my dog is just really stupid I mean, she's very sweet. I love her very much. But I just was like, I don't know what she's barking at. I thought she was barking at like a light that was outside. Last night, for whatever reason, I don't know why it's taken me this long, I decided to like get at a really, like pressing my head up against the tiny little window. And it's really small. It's like a very, very small window. So from my perspective, she wasn't seeing anything. Um, But I tried to kind of like get into the position that she gets into when she starts barking. And I saw through a very, very big window, it's like a sliding glass door window into someone else's apartment, there is a humongous tapestry of Jeff Goldblum's face holding a monkey. And I mean, it's humongous. It is all lit up. So there's a reason why she only starts barking in the dark. It's because that's when their lights are on and she can see into their their house. And essentially it looks like a humongous person is staring back at her. And it is alarming. I mean, it was very, when I saw that, I was like, oh my God. First I thought it was a TV, like someone had paused a TV. And then I realized it was behind, like I could actually see people sitting on the couch in front of it. I feel horrible because she was just trying to protect us from a humongous, like giant Jeff Goldblum. And I posted it to Instagram and everybody sent me, they were like, oh my God, my sister has a a pillow with that on, 
with that like picture on it and I was like what what is it is it from a movie and they're like no it's probably like a meme that like just became a thing and now it's like on tapestries and and shower curtains and so weird anyway I don't know what to do but now at least I won't be angry with her when she starts barking at monster Jeff Goldblum I'll just understand and I'll just I'll be a little bit nicer to her I thought she was I mean, she is a little bit bark trigger happy anyway, but I, I finally understand. So that's what's new in my life. My neighbors are, you know, eccentric, basically, which is fine. I am too. I just, you know, there's really nothing I can do about it. Okay. I will talk to you soon. I'll be back in two weeks with a new episode. And until then... I hope you eat a lot of delicious food.